Welcome to Life on the Watercrest Line. In this series, we follow the activities of the line throughout the year. We go behind the scenes and see all aspects of the operation. Part 21, where I talk to three of the people who make the Watercrest Line work. The first person I talk to is Jim Russell where we talk about the early years. I then get to talk to Colin Marsh and his role as a travelling ticket inspector. In the final part, I'm talking to David Mead and his role as the Facebook moderator. I'm stood here in the signal box at Alsford with Jim Russell, who does many roles with the Watercrest Line and has been around for 47 years or thereabouts. So, would you like to tell me about the early days? Oh, gosh, yes. Um, I started, the line closed in the February of 1973, and uh, at that time, I was still at school. Uh, that was in February of 73. I left school in the May, and there had been so much on the local television about the various campaigns to try and keep the line open. I was 16 in the July of 73, and in August I got me first moped and it, it was the first place I came and I've still got the invoice and I know the date and my first day here was the 25th of August 1973 and the railway then was it was literally a corpse British Rail had got up and walked away and there was a very enthusiastic gang here dreams are plenty but no money to back it up so plenty of dreams never ever thought that we'd end up with what we got today. If you'd have predicted what we've got today, you, you'd have been written off as a madman. You really would in those days. Very different place. So what was the first thing they got you to do? Uh, the first thing they got me to do was I painted... Uh, uh, sorry, uh, first of all, I scraped some uh, crud and off of a uh, little steam engine that had arrived, I think, from a power station in Croydon or Slough, possibly. Um, so I was on the inside of that, scraping the mud and bullets off of that. Then I painted the ladies' toilet at Orsford. And then the job after that they got me to do was to paint the bicycle racks at Orsford. And uh, I was quite—I must have done a good job because it wasn't painted again until fairly recently. So I, I must have done well. Didn't know what I was doing, but I must have done it well at that time. So those, those were the, the, the early jobs, yeah. And how long was it before any train ran anywhere? Oh, gosh. Well, it, it was three years, and then shortly before they started track lifting, in March 1976, British Rail ran uh, the first of our stock in. There were some carriages and a few wagons. They, they actually brought down by rail. So that was in 1976, and it was the end of April 1977. The railway started to run uh, as a proper railway, with, with just between Orsford and Rockley. That, that's, that's all the track that was left. So that time must have been difficult or frustrating in some ways, never knowing whether anything was really going to happen. We did have our frustrations, uh, but it was also an exciting time because everybody, we wanted to get back to Alton, wanted to get back to Alton, which ultimately we did. And I think I'm right in saying that at that time, it was the largest civil engineering project ever undertaken by volunteers uh, in this country.
the bells you may have just heard are the fact that Jim is working the signal box here at Arlesford today whilst I'm interviewing him, so there may be interruptions. So those very early days of running trains, it was there for a big relief and you felt you were going somewhere? Yes, it, it was. In those days, it, it was seen as a, as a railway club rather than a, quite a serious business that it is today. Uh, and that transition from from a, from a club to a business it was a difficult transition. It was, in my view, it's an essential transition, and some people still struggle slightly with that today. But uh, and it, I say it was a time of immense optimism. We all wanted to get back to Alton. As I started to say, I believe I'm right in saying that at that time it's the biggest, largest civil engineering project ever undertaken by volunteers in this country. It's been overtaken now by uh, canal projects and other railways. But yes, it was an exciting time, but frustration, we wanted to get on, but we didn't have any money. <laughs> uh, a thing that continues uh, for most railways uh, throughout their time, very much a hand-to-mouth uh, existence. How do you feel about where it's got to today? It, it's a business. Personally, uh, there are people that will disagree with me, which is fine, but it's got to run as a business. No, nobody owes you a living. You either earn your way or you, you cease to be. Uh, that's the way of the world. Uh, frustrations, there's always things we'd like to do. There's engines we'd like to restore. But everything on the railway is big and it's heavy. And there are a lot of noughts on the end of the, of the price tag. And uh, it, it's a matter of prioritising and trying to live within your means. That is a big frustration, certainly at times. Those who were around in the early days would be proud of where you got to today. We've certainly, I believe, we've realised their ambition. Now, we couldn't get to Winchester, that, that proved to be impossible, but we did get to Alton and we've run that quite uh, successfully, yes. So hopefully, sadly, obviously, time, a lot of the originals are no longer with us. So I hope they're looking down and giving us a thumbs up and uh, that we've, we've achieved what they set out to achieve, yeah. Thank you very much. I'm with Colin Marsh, who is a travelling ticket inspector on the Watercrest Line. I presume travelling means you're on the trains. Yes, I am. Yes, I am on the train from the time it starts in the morning and right through to the end of the day's operation with that particular train set. So you are travelling with a single train? You don't yes. hop on and off different trains? Generally, we do not. Um, but if one of my colleagues is unable to come in at the last minute, then I do have to hop on from one train to another, yeah, which is a bit more harder work. <laughs> so what do you have to do? Well, I go through the train really acting as an onboard host. The revenue protection element is... A smaller element because majority of our customers are here to uh, have a good day out, but also to um, help the railway remain in business. So um, fair cheats are a bit of a rarity, luckily, as well as checking tickets. In the case of passengers that have gone on at the last moment, um, selling them a ticket. The rest is, say, on an onboard host, whether it be helping them with a, a spillage or a cup of tea or acting as a tour guide, what should we do when we get to Rockley, or is there a bus from Allsford to Winchester, and if so, what time does it go? So one has to have quite a lot of ready reference material in one's briefcase. 
that you don't carry around through the train, but it's in the guard's compartment for me to go back to if I get stuck <laughs> with a difficult question. So the onboard host bit and the single train, I presume, you will see the same people getting on and off the train throughout the day. Yes, yes. And if they've got an all-day ticket, which many of them do purchase, which is certainly the best value, I personally try very hard to remember individuals so that I'm not asking them to show their ticket numerous times during the day. Now, that's usually received very well if I say to a group of people, ah, I saw you this morning, didn't I? Um, And they feel recognised, and that's quite something. It's usually not, I have to admit, because of their faces. It's usually I remember the man with the red jacket or the lady with the ghastly yellow jumper or whatever. Yes. Well, of course, different people have different ways of making themselves memorable. Indeed. (laughs) Do you ever have revenue issues or or whatever with people? Or or is it 99.9% of the time just very simple? Clipping a few tickets and giving help? Yes, a lot of most of it is clipping tickets, giving help, selling tickets to those people that are boarded at the last minute, with permission, um, the porter at the particular station. Occasionally, we, when one has individuals that one suspects were intending not to pay at all, particularly on special events, and occasionally one gets people that one imagines got on at the last minute, hoping not to be asked if they would like to buy a ticket. Not going to go out of their way to avoid paying, but if nobody asked them, they would happily have a cheap day out. I suppose that's life today, sadly. Yes, um, and I suspect that those people coming um, to special events are more likely to perhaps have that sort of view of mind rather than some of the local people. I think some of the local people would insist on putting money in the box in addition to what they've paid because they want it to be here next year to come again. So how long have you been involved with the line? I've been involved for 16 years from the time I retired. The first three or four years, I was a porter at Medstead Station. And since that four years was over, I've done both portering and travelling ticket inspector. I was told when I interviewed your chairman, Steve Crowther, that everybody used to start as a porter at Medstead Station. Yeah, I'm not sure that's... Well, certainly not sure anymore. Um, but generally, all uniform staff do start as a porter. And then one can go to at least three different routes, which is TTI or signalman or guard. Now, the fact you've been doing 16 years must mean you enjoy it. Love it. Absolutely love it, yes. The two jobs are very different. The porter at Medstead, I might see very few people on a typical day... Those people that are getting off here really want to tell you their life story over the hour until the next train comes. Travelling ticket inspector is really lots and lots of discussions that some of, the, of which are no more than a couple of minutes long. So two completely different jobs. At Medstead as a porter, I can, on a winter's day, sit and read a magazine between trains. As a TTI, I don't get to sit down frequently from the moment I get out of my car in the morning to the time I get back in the car in the evening. So it's eight hours on one's feet and talking all the time. So you end up with a hoarse voice and <laughs> rather aching legs. Well, thank you very much. It's been very nice to talk to you. You're welcome.
I'm with David and we're talking about the Midhance or the Watercrest Line's presence on Facebook. Yes, I'm a moderator for the Midhance Friends Facebook page. Uh, the idea is people turn up at the Midhance Railway and take loads and loads of photographs and it occurred to me one day that uh, we never see them. So we come up with the idea of having a friends page where people can put, post their photographs on the Facebook so the whole world can have a look at them if they wish. At the moment we've got nearly 2,000 members on our Facebook page and it's a very good uh, medium for publicising the Midhunts Railway and for uh, our photographers to uh, share their photographs and views of everybody and generally speaking it's gone down very well indeed. Do you ever have any issues that you have to sort out? Well, the issues on the Facebook page, of course, you always get some inappropriate items put on. And as moderator, I have to be quite discreet. And we, well, I have to delete anything which I feel is, is not connected with the page uh, on the Facebook. Yes, indeed, um, sadly, uh, these things do happen. But this is the world we live in. And it's all part of the Internet way of life. Do you believe that the Facebook page has increased the number of people who know about the railway? Well, I'm sure it does, because we've had applications from all overseas as well to be a member of the Facebook page. What I normally do, I normally ask the question before I accept them to say, what is your interest in railways and what is your association with the Midhance Railway? Otherwise, if you have thousands and thousands of people say, who are not particularly interested, the whole idea of the Facebook would get out of hand and you wouldn't be able to keep an ideal watch on it. To be a member of the Facebook page, you don't have to be a member of the Midhance Rail Preservation Society. Not at all. Oh, no, no, this is open to anybody, of course. But luckily, most of the entries on the Facebook page are actually members. And we do have some really, really good photographers out there. Which considering it's their hobby, <laughs> is the railway, isn't surprising. Yes, indeed, you're quite right. Thank you very much. This podcast is published by the Mr T Podcast Studio.